it's impossible for me to ignore the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you right now about painkiller and not acknowledge or recognize the fact that that is impossible without that moment having happened in my life. That just completely swiveled me right back into the thing I love and has made my heart sing every day since. And you play a lawyer in Painkiller, so... (laughs) 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 The best of both worlds. We've come full circle. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Take a look at Uzo Aduba's IMDb page, and you'll notice that alongside her 40 on-screen acting credits, she's also racked up a whopping 30 nominations and 12 wins. I mean, with that kind of ratio, it's hard to believe that it was just a decade ago that Uzo was seriously considering throwing in the towel on her acting dreams. Uzo fell in love with the theater while growing up in a small town in Massachusetts. After graduating from Boston University, she started her stage career in earnest, making her Broadway debut in Quorum Boy in 2007. Despite her success on stage, Uzo struggled to get her on-screen acting career off the ground, causing her to question the path she'd chosen. That's when Uzo received a life-changing call. She had been cast as Suzanne Crazy Eyes Warren in a series called Orange is the New Black. Little did Uzo know, Orange would not only change her life, but the future of streaming at large. In recent years, Uzo has flourished across film and television, starring in Mrs. America, Solos, and In Treatment, among many other titles. Today, we're talking about her latest series, Painkiller, a fictionalized retelling of the origins and aftermath of the opioid crisis in America. Hi, Uzo. I feel like we had to have met at some point through the course of life, but I've never gotten to really talk to you. Well, that's and what that's this podcast what this is, is for. for. <laughs> Let me tell you, like, I could just talk about the freaking ice skating and sports for, you know, <laughs> but I got to get in, you know, the, all time. this other stuff <laughs> that uh, we, we're going to talk about. One of the first things at the top of my list, I'm going to get to all the important stuff, but I want to get to the project that we're really here to talk about, which is Painkiller, which is a fictionalized retelling of the origins and aftermath of the opioid crisis in America. It's based on the book by the same name and also on a New Yorker magazine article that came out in 2017. And I have to say, Pete Berg, who directed it, the conceit is very impactful and and clever in the beginning when they have a real person talking about how Oxycontin affected their life. And then you go into this dramatization. So, and not surprising, you are incredible in it. And you are the through line that takes us, takes the audience through all of these episodes and all these intersecting lives. But for you, the actress, why did you want to play this part? Why did you want to be Edie Flowers? And and just talk to me a little bit about that. It was a couple of reasons. I... I remember right right before taking on this job, I had been visiting with some family and they were talking about a distant family friend who uh, we had known and who had, how their, their child had passed away some years before. And it was never really disclosed what had happened. And, you know, as is common, people don't really press or dig in, you know, to find out mm-hmm. what happened. It just so happened 
that right as I was right, right before, you know, this job came to me, we happened to be riding around and we passed by the friend's house way out. And the person in the car told me what happened. And, and I was like saying, you know, oh, I'm going up to Toronto to work on the show. And they're like, oh, you know, uh, oh, so I guess it must have been just after I had been offered it. I think it must have been just right after because I told them I was like, oh, it shoots in Toronto. And, um, you know, I don't know. I'm going to meet on Zoom, you know, to find out. And uh, if, you know, this feels like a good fit. And it just so happened we were passing the family friend's house. And they said, oh, well, you know, that's actually how so-and-so's son passed away. And I had no idea. I don't know. I don't, you know, we write stories in our head of how someone so young might leave this earth, but we don't really know until somebody tells us. And um, I remember being so shocked because it seemed so out of the realm of who they are and um and i and and simultaneously krista i was also like i realized how little i knew about the drug also i heard the word and heard you know addiction highly addictive and all of this but i didn't have any sort of personal or i could I, there was no face to it that i knew of until that moment mm -hmm. Um, and suddenly it was a whole different other story in my head. Now these scripts I was, had been reading and the insidiousness of it and how it sort of drip, drip, drips into a person's life or family seemed incredibly real and possible. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting. I first remember hearing about this drug. Actually, my father was on it because he he's since passed away now. It's it passed on in 2008. But I remember the doctors giving him Oxycontin for the pain. And he I, was the first I kind of heard of this because he talked about how addictive it is and how careful and measured he would be with it because, you know, he's a scientist and super you know, aware and disciplined in that, he knew it was a real issue. And one of the things that I think is interesting that this piece of art does, this series, is it it shows that it isn't, addiction isn't about weakness, which I think we as a society always kind of associate, oh, well, you just need to toughen up and cold turkey and, you know, why were you doing the drugs right. anyway? You should have stopped and and all of those kind of dialogues we tell ourselves about why something went a, a certain way. But I think that's really interesting is about how easy it it is and how any of us uh, could have gone in that direction. hundred percent. And that's also where when I think about him, I'm like, wow, what a good kid, you know, like in my brain, somebody, again, it just did not fit the pieces, even, you know, kind of in line with what you're talking about. I guess if I talk about the first, first time I even really heard the word, I remember I got my wisdom teeth taken out. I had been prescribed Oxycontin. And I remember, again, my own ignorance, my mother 
calling me. I, you know, she was like, how was the appointment? And I was like, oh, it was good. And I was like, what did they give you? And I'm rattling off whatever. And I'm like, blah, 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 Oxycontin. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, just take one and don't take the right. Like, she's like, it's very addictive. And she, I was like, eh. like I had no knowledge the way that she had obviously been following the trades and watching the news and was and maybe perhaps knew what had happened mm. to her friends. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, I never asked her. Well, in fact, she was gone by that time. But I, I, I remember, and she called me the next day and was like, did you throw that thing away? And I was like, no, but I'm doing it now because you're so upset. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like, and I flushed it. But the reality is she was not talking from a place of nonsense. You know, there was a real epidemic is, you know, that was, uh, you know, riddled throughout the country, you know, and, and just really decimating, you know, a lot of lives and homes. Um, mm. Well, when you take on a, a part like this, so. So there is a personal element to it, you know, however uh, peripheral or adjacent you are to that. But um, aside from the scripts, how do you build out or is it solely through the scripts? How do you build out this character? In this instance, it depends, you know, really depends part for part. In this instance, there was, you know, frankly, there was just so much literature. uh, And at the time, um, there was a case looming, you know, so that was right in the headlines um, to follow uh, to some degree. So you could see these real players um, on your screen in the news who were living the real life story of Edie Flowers' experience and the experiences of all the characters in the show. So there wasn't much to reach for beyond that, in my opinion. because it was like right there in the headlines, in the mm-hmm. news, you know, um, when you're, what you're reading in the script, you can see, and Noah and Micah, who did just such an incredible, who are just, I love them. They're just incredible. Um, you could see what it was that they were creating and the world and atmosphere that they were developing. Um, and so you could see the world that they were developing. And so um, it became very clear the deg- the direction the path um that was that was necessary to take for this story and this was this is a character who starts i think you said it right she she's the thread there she starts from a place of the american people where we with the same sort of blindness ignorance lack of knowledge of the wave, this tsunami that is about to land on our shores, um, which I think is really quite genius. She is us, mm-hmm. you know? She really is us, what we didn't know, what, and, and it's just through a very natural digging in and digging deeper and asking one more question that leads to this sort of unraveling and exposure to the truth of what this drug's impact and power is. And I think that's, 
I think that's Edie's, that's what I held on to when it came to the character. I understood, oh, she is meant to serve as the voice of the the American mm-hmm. people. That mm-hmm. is her 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 function in this part project. She is meant to represent the discovery we all went through in this episode. Mm-hmm. What's great about it and what's great about your performance is you're the audience for us, right? You're maneuvering us through this series and the character and the way it's written and the way it's directed, it really just explains it all in a way that it's a, it's naturally dramatic. And I understood it. And I've read a lot of that stuff, too. And I've uh, obviously I'm a news junkie and you see what's what's going on. But when you really lay out like when you you know, the way it starts your kind of origin story when we first meet you about, you know, one doctor out in the middle of wherever and how it's pieced together one by one, you actually understand how enormous and gigantic uh, this is and was and the impact of like when it's FDA approved, how that's just like a game changer. I'll take us to, you know, one of one of the later episodes when we actually see you encounter Sackler, right? Who's played by Matthew Broderick. Who's wonderful. <laughs> right. Which is also another genius bit of casting, you know, Mr. Nice Guy, basically yeah. bullets over Broadway, Matthew Broderick, right? Playing this yeah you know, head of basically pharmaceuticals that, that created this issue and that kind of, that interaction. <clears throat> oh, not there, not there, sorry about that. Richard Sackler, I'm Edie Flowers. Hello. You were... They did a good job making all that money, sir. Thank you. Come on, boy. Come on, I gotta get this dog some exercise. Come on, boy. Come on, this way. Come on, let's run around. Come on. How was that working with Matthew? And then also, how was that being directed by Pete Burke? Well, it was great, you know, because it's like, you know, they do this brilliant thing in the story, both in terms of the writing and in the direction of having these parallel, parallel running trains to one another that the world of Edie Flowers, who is a fictitious person, but as a composite of a number of investigators and investigations, it runs alongside the story of the very real and very true Richard right. Sackler. Um, and having points of intersection where reality, the two worlds come together, I think was incredibly, incredibly impactful, incredibly powerful. Matthew, who was just so brilliant, I think, in the casting of that part, because, you know, like you said, Mr. Nice Guy, it would have been too easy to sort of like put this super sinister, you know, dark, looming sort of figure that we all know as a performer into that space. But instead, you have somebody who's like, really likable, you know, like you really, who doesn't love Matthew Broderick? I fell in love with Matthew Broderick before, even more than I had before, you know, Um, which is exactly right because you then understand how the wooing happened and was successful um, because this incredibly genteel, warm man 
is able to do that, you know? Um, so it was wonderful to come across that, especially when, you know, the, that first exchange, it was wonderful because at that point, my character and myself, I had sort of created who this man is in the world. And then to meet him in the way that she does is quite off-putting and, you know, destabilizing. And um, might I just say, also, um, he's just like so lovely and, you know, just like the warmest person. And, you know, Pete was also like in there with us, you know, keeping that warmth going um, as well. I remember on that day, like every was, I won't, uh, we had a specific dress up day on set that day that was really sweet um, from the cast, uh, from him to me. Um, but it was just really, it, it was, it was magical and it was wonderful. And as somebody who's been a longstanding fan of Matthews from both the incredible body of work he has on the stage, that's just phenomenal. i um, being a theater kid myself, but also on screen, his career there as well. Um, it's just delicious to be able to work with somebody so, um, seasoned and, uh, takes his work and job very seriously and understood the importance of the thing that we were here to do mm. it was wonderful your character because the audience is with you and we have one expectation and another expectation it was so amazing how he wove everybody's expectations in into that one scene the exacting nature of Edie is just amazing that it takes that kind of person of which I don't have any of that the spreadsheets one by one by one by one by one by one just methodically going through this stuff and almost keeping the emotion out of it, I think, is one of the things that really works. You're so measured through it while we're while we're having this discovery, and not leading us into any direction. And her arc is particularly rewarding. I will just say that that you got to play, so Thank that's you. good. You take us on a journey. Okay, I want to. You you said this before a little bit, like you were a theater kid, so you're yeah. also a sports kid. And you also did not grow up in yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> you grew up in uh, yeah. <laughs> in Massachusetts. I'm back in my yeah, home, state, home of state of Massachusetts. Massachusetts <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a town that I read it for. I was like, wait, that's not Medford. It's Melfeld. It, it's like another little tiny town, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your family's Nigerian. Your dad loved the Red Sox. First of all, how did you get into sports? And your brother was a hockey player, right? I have that right. Makes yep, sense, yep. Boston. You were, yeah. <laughs> He's Nigerian, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you go from like into like that's just so Americana? Like I, you know, I grew up in the in Colorado. My parents um, were from other parts of the world, and they didn't understand their children because they raised them in America here in, in Denver. And we were all sporty, yeah. and they're like, "Who are these children?" <laughs> um, it was all about education for them. That's all that mattered. So I just yeah. am curious, like, how did you embrace it? And then how did you make that decision to veer into theater? Yeah. You know, it's so funny because my mom used to say all the time when I was a kid, but both my parents were very like into this experiment that is America, you know, that was just so different from where they came from. You know, my parents came from Nigeria. They came from uh, the humble beginnings, my dad in particular, you know, um, and the opportunity minute one setting foot here, you know, it was like, whoa, this place has a lot to offer. And my mom used to say all the time, she would say, you know, my American dream 
is that you people get to live mm. your dream because where we're from, you might dream it, but it just may not be possible here, but that it's possible for your dreams to come true here was just like, whatever that is, we want you to do that. And my parents were really keen for us to do whatever it is that we love, but whatever we do, we are to put our whole selves into it. And, you know, they can't get the Nigerian out of them. Of course, they were still like, but you also have to do well in school, you know, like they're still Nigerian. They didn't lose themselves. You know, that's like the immigrant recipe um, baked in. But they wanted us to try everything, you know, like they and they weren't afraid to try new things. You know, I in my brain to this day, I wish I could like get the answer for whatever made them go into that ice rink and like these sub-Saharan peoples like throw on coats and like, you know, my mom free, she wouldn't even go in the ring. She would wait outside and watch through the glass because it was too cold for her. But she saw how much my brother and I loved it. And they were in, that was like all it took. They were like, sign us up. We're into this, you know? And they wanted us to just try as many things as we possibly could, as long as we still enjoyed it. And that was it for them. And so my mom had noticed that I really liked to sing and perform. And so she had me join the choir and I liked that sort of because, but I was like the only kid and everybody else was like really white hair, like golden girls. And I was like, <laughs> but I liked it like, you know, um, but I still like to sing. And then I just fell in love with the theater and never looked back. And I think they just saw, um, the passion and the love. And so they just encouraged me to go for it. And I have no doubt they were terrified, um, but they might be like, they made it both the deserve Academy Awards because they never mm -hmm. showed it, you know, like they just like kept cheering me on and like goes, you know, but um, yeah, they just wanted to see me live out. It's, I think it gave them so much happiness to see that what they had risked was mm -hmm. worth it well it is it's it's incredible to think that you know your your brother played professionally you were super jockey you then pivot to theater <laughs> and if you look at just the numbers on paper and I love to do this when I look at an IMDb page. You have 40, you know, 40, I'm sure it's it's more or less around that number, you know, credits. And then you're like, wait, 12 awards, 30 nominations. I mean, those averages are insane. Like that never happens. That's no. like that's just an like your track record is is incredible and really unprecedented. But I also know that you almost quit. Like this was not something where, you know, the, the the doors were opened and they're like, yes, yes, yes. You heard mostly no's and we're, we're, you know, building this thing. There had to been the moment where you, is this too hard or that thought of like, no matter how much you love it, maybe you need to pivot the dream a little or move it a little to the left and figure out how else you can um, still be happy, <clears throat> but maybe not achieving the thing you thought. Because a lot of dreams do evolve as we live life and things happen. Yep. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I thought for a really long time in my life, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. 
And um, because I can talk a lot and um, that made sense until I found the theater and the arts. And I started pursuing that as a career and I was pursuing it and, you know, having great moments, but still feeling my head knock on the ceiling um, and feeling like I just wasn't pushing past uh, the point I was at and, and certainly wasn't at a place where I could, you know, securely take care of myself and definitely not a place where my parents weren't worrying about me. And I had just, I had never quit in my heart before, but this one day I did. And I thought, you know, I'm trying to make something happen that might not be for me. I think maybe what I'm supposed to be doing is this law that I abandoned. I think that's where I'm supposed to be. And so I had made the decision to go that way and I had never, I'd been grinding for a while at that point. And I had never really ever looked for an exit before. But that day I did. And I was serious when I said it. I meant it. I was like, okay. It was a Friday. I was like, on Monday, I'm going to call my agent. I'm telling them I'm out. You know, this is not for me. I'm going to go to law school. And from this moment on, I remember saying to myself, I was like, from this moment on, I'm going to be living my life on purpose, meaning like, why I'm here and I will be fulfilling my purpose in this life. And life is going to be good from this minute out. And uh, I had auditioned for this little show that was going to be coming to this new thing called Netflix streaming. And the show was called Orange is the New Black. I had auditioned for it three weeks, I think, prior to this day. And I got home, I'd ordered some sushi, I'd ordered some wine. I called my sister, told her to come over. You know, I have something important to tell you. And 45 minutes later, my phone rang and it was my agents telling me that I had gotten that job. And, you know, that was 10 years ago uh, or 11 years ago this September. It'll be 11 years. And it's impossible for me to ignore the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you right now about painkiller uh, and not acknowledge or recognize the fact that that is impossible without that moment having happened in my life. That just completely swiveled me right back into the thing I love and has made my heart sing every day since. And you play a lawyer in Painkiller, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the best of both worlds. We've yeah. come full circle. It is. And you are, you know, fulfilling your purpose as a lawyer in Painkiller, you know, taking and explaining to the world how this fucking shit happens how we find ourselves again yeah. and again in these situations but um Uzo, it's amazing to think about i remember uh you know the first time i saw that show it felt like i had 
you know, as a woman that is covered and in this business and watching it, I had met Taylor, I think, in my office. I was at Vanity Fair at the time on like a go-see mm. and she was explaining this show that, that, you know, it had already been shot and blah, 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 blah. And then watching it, it was just a game changer because none of it mm. made sense. You know, none of it. Let's yeah. do a woman's prison. It's kind of a comedy, but a dramedy. <laughs> Everyone's in an orange jumpsuit, <laughs> you know. Well, try, try telling, try telling people when you're shooting it. And I was like, they're like, Netflix has a, and I was like, I think it's like going to be on, like, it's like a web yeah. series. I think it's like. Totally. Like, no one like, could think of like how far, you know, where Netflix is today versus, you know, 11 years yeah. ago. Like I said, it was Orange is a New Black and, and uh, House of Cards. I believe it's just you and Ed Asner who have won Emmys in both the comedy and drama categories for the same role. But just that character, obviously Crazy Eyes, Genji Cohen, the way she wrote this, the way it was written, the way it was so comedic at times and so moving and so dramatic. It was just incredible. And it ran for a really long time, very lauded, amazing cast. So in my mind, I have this fantasy that you're all still on some giant group text uh, checking. Okay, good. I'm glad. Audience, she's nodding. Um, I know you can't see her, but yes. Yes. I just had my sister, Natasha. We were just hanging out cooking dinner the other day. That's amazing. Because it's just, I think about all the relationships that, you know, must have been formed there. And, you know, it's never, women are rarely all together on a set also. I mean, so many, I think obviously it's changing, but a lot of times, you know, you're the only female on a set and here the whole cast is female. 100%, I'll never forget even, and it's not just even the cast itself, the behind the scenes of that show had such a massive presence of strong female women, you know, female executives who were so incredibly smart and creative and talented. And it was such, it was so impactful. I can't say enough. I remember having never done a TV show, having never really worked with, even in the theater, that many female directors and walking back to our dressing rooms and walking past Video Village where the the behind the scenes creatives watch us shoot the show. And one day seeing all the chairs filled, but one with women. And I remember thinking differently even for myself and the future of my own career in that moment being like, wow, that's possible. Like there, there's other spaces for me as a woman to inhabit. And they did that. And Jen, that's the power of Jenji Cohen. That's the power of um, Netflix even supporting that, you know. Um, it was just such an incredible experience, that show, to also have such a wide swath of people Everybody was on that show and not just one of everything, a number of everything. And we were interested and invested in each other's stories. And I'm just so proud that there were so many people around the world who wanted to hear those. I loved it. I mean, still. And by the way, it still holds up. It's still, you you know, you watch it and and you think about the genius of the casting of you, obviously knew, you know, people introducing audiences to people they didn't know some they did and then some real theater veterans too were in that cast some great great acting all right speaking of theater and singing um (laughs) because you have a hell of a voice uh where's my where is my uzo musical on broadway like what's happening when Ah! i mean in all your not free time i know you're also doing another show with shondaland uh uh, for Netflix, The Resonance. So, but there's got to be some free time in there for you to do a quick eight-week run. 
And and if you were to do it, what would be what would you want to do? Oh wow! I second question first. I don't know um, if it's written what I would want to do um, yet. Um, something that moves me. Something that um, certainly has to stop time uh, is what I would definitely just makes my heart jump. Um, but absolutely, you know, I had the great fortune of getting to do a play last season on Broadway, which had been uh, 10 years since I'd done a show in New York. Um, and I was so grateful and filled with that. Um, and, you know, I and it will feel what I know is it will feel right when it comes and it will it will call me and I will call it when the time is right. Um, but I forever love the theater, um, am a fan of it, love to watch it, love to see my friends do it. Um, so something for sure. And I would, I would, I would definitely love to All sing right. again, I'm manifesting sure. it right now. So someone's got to start writing something <laughs> for you, specifically with you in mind, because yes, definitely. Yes, 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 yes to that. All right. So back to Painkiller again. What is your yeah. favorite as the, the actress showing up? call sheet every day what is your favorite part of that day whether it's the 5 a.m or you're working nights i know these things are really the, the life of an actual working actor is not that glamorous it's not all red carpet and hair and makeup and tiktoks and all that stuff yeah. uh but for you when you're working what is your favorite part of the day i would say my favorite part of the day is two parts one it's walking in for the first time and saying good morning to everybody because you get to see crew who's put, you know, who go unseen and sometimes honestly unsung wrongly um, and really get to acknowledge the whole core and group putting this together and before we start. Um, and that felt really, really, really important on this project in particular, because we were coming out of such a time of isolation and being separated, the value of really understanding what coming together and to do this thing that we all love and are passionate about felt even more impactful. And those good mornings felt even more special. Um, and, and then I think the, the next piece is, Getting onto set with the person you've just chatted up or introduced yourself to in the hair and makeup chair like an hour before and we're running lines with and you do it for that first time in space and there's no replicating, repeating that first energy sparks when you say those words for the first time in the world, in the clothes, on the couch or whatever, and finding that connection and what it is they're really trying to say and trying to figure out how to get them to understand what it is you're trying to say. And that communion that happens, that bread breaking, is 
Mm-hmm. It's nothing like Do you it. often find that you're surprised by it and it kind of changes where you what you had thought at when you had read it on the page and rehearsed oh. it in your mind and memorized it and all that? A thousand percent. My castmate on this, Dina, who's so fantastic. When we did a scene, our we have a scene where there's a bit of a confrontation and, you know, we've been the makeup chairs doing it, you know, and then here we were on set outside and the energy and she's such a fantastic actor and a full the 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 subtle calm ferociousness of her character came alive in a completely different way that was really surprising west uh Duchovny, who i love has my heart forever you know we have a scene mm-hmm. towards the end of the series um where she'll just take your heart and the 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 heart space that she opened up and gave to the room was just so much bigger than what a makeup trailer could mm-hmm. ever hold um and that's deliciously surprising and exciting to watch because now you know something that you thought was great has just now elevated to another place that now takes you into a euphoria um yeah she was yeah. great i will say that i was like who is this uh because i mm-hmm. i had never seen that face before and she's great and she takes again you're kind of the audience member as she plays someone that you know is the former college athlete charismatic you know is is going to sell pharmaceuticals and you see her innocence and her fighting against it and rationalizing everything you would have done as a 22 year old right because you listen to what you're being told and then just seeing her arc is really interesting matching with your arc it's all fantastic is entertaining and eye-opening and really challenging at at times but really worth it because of what you how you come out of it and how you understand it at the end all right we we don't have that much more time i'm do some rapid fire so taylor swift is on tour right now and i'm just wondering where you're going to be in august when she's in los angeles are you going to be in los angeles is there a chance we might get you back on stage again what what's happening ah (laughs) (laughs) listen Anything never say never. All right, Real Housewives. Who's your number one of which franchise? I mean, that's an that's that's asking who's your favorite child. You have one you never tell. Um, so have you watched all the franchises, all of them? So you don't have a favorite franchise. I've watched every franchise. I I don't have a favorite franchise. They are. It depends on the season. You know, like Potomac is regularly killing it. Beverly Hills, Kathy Hilton gave us an another level to that show that we could never have imagined. Atlanta is giving us so much already, and we're only, I think, three episodes in. New Jersey, we we have much to mind. I can't wait for that reunion that's coming. You understand? I watch. It's amazing. <laughs> all right, so if you're watching all of those, where do you land with like Love is Blind and Selling Sunset and that stuff? Are you in, in that? Selling Sunset I have watched. See, here's where it goes for me. I have watched Selling Sunset and I have watched myself get sucked into a I'm never leaving my couch place with that show that I have to take that in like doses i'll tell you what i am into though like i watch obsessively indian matchmaking Mm. love 
And I just finished watching two days ago, Jewish matchmaking, which was also excellent. I love uh, I, Elisa. I, I did that I in one night that. too. So I, I, I'm with you on that. I love, that's now going to be my jam. I love, like, I love see my auntie. <laughs> I love, I love Elisa. I love, those oh, I are love my that. jams. Okay. So cooking, I know you started the year off strong. Okay. With some Julia Child and some cooking. And I, and I, and I yeah. asked this because selfishly for myself, cause I always have my own Julia and Julia <laughs> moment in my head. Like this is the time I'm going to really do it. But where are we on cooking and, you know, expanding your repertoire? Still cooking. The only, the thing is, it's like, I'm so bad at recording it. I have to get back on my recording gig um, to share the cooking with my followers. Um, I just, the other, so the day I was talking about Natasha Leona came over for dinner. We had um, a, a lemon dill um, salmon with roasted broccoli sauteed hen of the wood mushrooms and roasted roasted bliss potatoes with a homemade a homemade whipped cream with berries mm, that sounds really good so she didn't even bring dessert she brought a beautiful drink i mean she's not yeah. coming empty-handed but we made it all oh and my just god chatted. that's amazing um all right so my last question is something I'm asking everybody this season uh, on the podcast, and it's a, it's a very shallow, silly question, but I love the responses. So what do people um, say to you on the street? What's <laughs> what the versions of, of the stuff that you get when, when people recognize you or think they recognize you or? A lot of, I get gasps. I used to get a lot of, you seem so normal. Um, I get a lot of, um, what do I get? Um, you know, just kind words. I'm thankful I get a lot of kind words because I know there are people out there who are playing like master villains who are not getting a lot of kind words, but are like amazing humans. Um, so I get a lot of like sweet, sweet words, whether it's that they saw, you know, the whiz or they saw orange or they saw, you know, in treatment, sometimes people want to do a session and I have to remind them I'm not a real therapist. Um, <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh, you really helped me. And then they'll start talking about the thing that was going on in their life at the time. And I'm like, I have no experience in this. I can't help you for real. Um, yeah. Those so good. I mean, the responses are amazing. It, it's um, who was I, I, I interviewed Nisi Nash and she was saying to me, well, she used to think she could tell, oh, you're a Reno 911 fan. Oh, you're a Claws fan and whatnot. And and um, and it's true. Like, oh, you, you, you're kind of doing your own. Oh, this person's going to get me for this. Uh, but it's it's interesting um, that you get the therapist one. I think that one takes the biscuit. That's amazing. Someone just <laughs> asking, asking and need, feeling the needing to vent. Well, this is great. I hope I see you at a women's soccer game. Also, I didn't even get to say yes. that. You're a part owner in the Angel City Football Club, which is a women's soccer team. And I have been to a bunch of games, actually. I was a soccer player, so I'm super excited about having that team in L.A. But I love that. Are you... Oh, it's so wonderful. The energy, you can't, you, it's amazing. And it's the set, the set of fans that we have are just so passionate. And it's such a wide range of fans. It's like, if ever you're in Los Angeles, or if you're in town where we're playing away, like, I really encourage people to get themselves a ticket. It, it's a great night out. I just love that the women of Hollywood did that too. It's just 
It's awesome. But I love talking to you. We've got a lot more. I'm going to come and find you again at another time to talk more about all uh, everything else, uh, all your other projects. But um, congratulations on um, not quitting, really. I'm wondering how that sushi and wine was when you realized 45 minutes in. <laughs> It went from a quitting party to a party. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Enjoy the rest of the day. It was great to see you. Thank you. You too. Painkiller is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com.